0: Hey what's up everyone I just want to let you know we had a little bit of a technical issue so my mic sounds pretty bad in this episode Uh, we've taken some steps to make sure it never happens again hopefully the content is good enough for you to hang around and listen if this is your first time listening to Tim bill pod my mic normally doesn't sound like I recorded inside of a tin trash can I spent literally hours and hours searching forums and downloading plugins and swearing profusely, trying to fix it. There was no way to fix it. So my bad. And um, please try to enjoy this next episode. To bells back again and burn, burn
1: it out. <laughs> what was that? More? I, I forget what the fuck your are The Backstreet is the Backstreet Boys. Oh yeah, uh, no wonder uh, I couldn't place it too good. My TRL uh, memory isn't as is what it used to be. You be like
2: ten bell pots. All right, <laughs> all right. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's how. That's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
0: I, I, I'm Nicholas. I'm joined by Micah J. Loving.
1: Hello, hello. My um, uh, updates, if you're following along at home, I barely could remember what the hell it was on all my stupid predictions. Uh, Let's see. Last ones I did, Israel Adesanya won last night. It was boring as shit, and his stock dropped. But, you know, uh, won that one. And then Bernie just didn't maintain the momentum on Super Tuesday, so lost the shit out of that. And then uh, I'm going my prediction for this time. I'm going straight heel move. By the time you listen to this episode, no ACC teams will have made the Final Four. They're all out. They're all
2: fucking out. Wow. (laughs) And Gonzaga.
0: Ah, fuck you.
2: I predict that there will be no WrestleMania because we'll be on complete (laughs) under lockdown. (laughs) Because this episode has been coming out the Thursday before WrestleMania, quote unquote.
1: That's a lot better prediction. I like that. South by Southwest, then WrestleMania.
0: We are, of course, joined by the Nick Lachey of the Troop Brigade, the Lance Bass of whooping ass, the (laughs) the Justin Timberlake of being named Jake.
2: Scott, Jake oh, I like that you started with Nick Lachey. He was my favorite of all the boy band guys. I, had, I actually kind of had his hair at he, one wait, point in time. Was he the Jessica Simpson dude? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, good
0: looking
2: guy. Yeah, very good. Very good looking guy. We're all going to say it. <laughs> and, and right. that's, oh, I like the Dallas Cowboys, Tony Romo. So I'm just saying, maybe my, maybe the whole thing is I just like Jessica Simpson. Maybe that's <laughs> I mean. There is that. Man.
0: All right, we have an exciting episode today. We're talking about someone that just may surprise you if you don't know a lot about him. He was Mike Shaw, who you may know as Norman the Lunatic, Makan Singh, or the icon Bastion Booger
2: and what better way to celebrate Wrestlemania than an episode on Bastion Booger (laughs) you know we could have picked anybody that could have got more clicks I think we're going for the obscure nobody is recording a podcast that will be released right before Wrestlemania when people are searching wrestling professional wrestling wrestling in general WWE, WWF nobody in their right mind is like you know what we need to get out some Bastion Booger content as quickly as possible we're just going full
1: hipsters like oh you want to talk about Big fancy wrestlers world. Did you know Mike Shaw's work's actually pretty good? Did you
2: even know that shit? <laughs> exactly. Did you know he went to get the Calgary Stampede territory? Oh, yeah. But we'll get to that. We'll yeah, get yeah. to that. We'll get to that.
0: <laughs> One thing before we start. I've been calling his finishing move the tombstone taint drop. What would you, what is is it does it have a real name? Is I did, never
1: did. Uh Bob I like Bobby Heatens the most most. It was a, a trip to the Batcave is how he <laughs> was described it. It's just when he did the move, the announcers just went, oh. <laughs> it was just like oh god that's a terrible it's teabagging them and it's uh yeah
0: all right michael paul shaw was born may 9th 1957 in Scandia, michigan mike grew up in a town of just 300 or as jake would say a metropolis
2: yep nobody nobody has got the the fewest amount uh in professional wrestling i'm still hold that record
0: Mike only had two TV channels, so he didn't catch much wrestling growing up, but he did amateur wrestle and apparently was very good, winning conference out of Gwynn High School. He also threw shot put and played some defensive tackle for his high school football team. Later, Mike would coach some amateur wrestling and play professional softball for the Milwaukee Slits. (laughs) Yeah. the uh, American Professional Softball Association, not surprisingly, went out of business because there's not many people who are like, you know what? Baseball is just too fast of a game for me.
2: Well, also, too, there's not that many people that can play softball and keep a beer in their hand at the same time like, <laughs> yeah. and do it at a professional level. People can do it at an amateur level, but not a professional level.
0: Around the age of 23, Mike was living in Florida working for a car company, and it was there he met a wrestler named Farmer Bill. And after seeing how big of a guy Mike was at 6'1", 270-ish, Bill was like, Hey, baby, you ever do a forward roll? <laughs>
2: I'm almost 100% Farmer Bell was one of those big fat guys like oh you could be the wrestler <laughs> and then he's just like oh you're selling cars you know you you're a big fat guy you,
1: <laughs> you know you could wrestle right you,
2: can, you know you could wrestle right they might make you like a country bumpkin like character and say you're from Mudlick Kentucky I mean that's what that's what they'll do for you in New York um, they might even do that in Memphis too. other places they'll just be like they'll call you the crusher the smasher or something but if you're a big fat guy you will make some money especially like in, in the 70s and 80s ah, just be a wrestler you don't have to do very much and people will work around you and guys with actual talent will just get murdered by you trust just listen to old farm boy i
1: got you you just need a good punch and you just need to know how to do the big fat man splash because that's your finisher for sure
2: and then just do and then you know when you don't win you go for that splash the guy moves out of your way and then the guy just pins you one two three you can't get up yeah you can't get up you're like a turtle you're like a turtle you can't get up you're on your side it's all you know how it is (laughs)
0: Sold on the idea of wrestling, Mike went up to Boston to get trained by Killer Kowalski in 1980. He'd have his first match as part of Killer's promotion in Rhode Island against Ricky Sexton.
1: Mike is coming from an amateur background. When you train guys, or a lot of amateur wrestlers when they come in to try to be professional wrestlers. Is there a mentality that's hard to get over from when you're an amateur wrestler to make kind of, you know... To lose, you know, what some
2: saying. people are weird like that, but the, the biggest issue with amateurs coming into professional is the stiffness of how they are. Because mm, you're, right. you're always trying to not have somebody move you around, where in yeah. pro wrestling, you're being moved around by the veteran, especially when you're new it's kind so, of like muscle memory reflex or well, instinct just, stuff j- just the idea of not being stiff like the the important okay. the, 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 it's hard to explain especially on a podcast but the the idea like you know you're moving around you're doing a lot of physical activity but you you try to stay as loose as possible cuz the stiffer you are <laughs> you get blown up faster because when you stiffen up, that means your your muscles are flexing. Therefore, your muscles need oxygen and therefore you intake more oxygen. that's why you guys get blown up because they're just huffing and puffing and puffing. Gotcha. And, that, and that's why, you know, amateur wrestling, MMA, it's like a total, total body thing. And, and you're very stiff and you're moving and you're trying to hit as hard as possible you can, which causes you to flex your muscle, which causing you to take in more oxygen. Where wrestling, the, the reason why you can do 60 minutes is because you're you're loose you're hitting somebody with you know loose forearms and stuff like that but you're still swinging it as fast as you would if you were in a real fight or right, throwing right. a punch at the same speed you would in a regular but the thing is you're, you're you're barely hitting but at the same time you're also keeping your hand loose you're keeping your forearms loose you're hitting somebody at the clothesline you're keeping your arm loose you're all those things you're trying to stay as loose as possible so therefore you're not taking in as much oxygen. So that is the biggest issue. But the biggest advantage of somebody who is an amateur wrestler is control of their hips. Hmm, they they yeah. know, they know how to where their hips are at, where they're going to be, where their body is and They a have lot, a good
1: base, they know.
2: But it's all more of a situation of you know where your hips are at all moments in time Okay. so therefore you know where a certain body part is and it's about body control as far as professional wrestling if you have a lot of body control you can you can do a lot in professional wrestling and amateur wrestlers always know where their hips are and know what their hips are doing and where they're at and explode into them, move them out get them out from underneath of a guy just gotcha. the awareness of, of your body parts and where it is in relation to you your opponent, uh, where you are in the physical mat and actual space that it surrounds and takes up.
0: As an absolute wrestling legend, Killer Kuloski obviously had connections to the entire industry. So for promotion roll through town short a man, they'd usually go to him and his school for fill-ins. And that's how Mike would end up wrestling former world champion Pedro Morales on WWF's All-Star Wrestling February 14th, 1981,
2: Oh, don't worry. I'm sure Pedro the whole time was like, "Makey, you are not going to make it. <laughs> we're not make it." Which maybe that's an insensitive impersonation, but <laughs> that's what Pedro Morales sound, sounds like, and every person that's ever impersonated him, that's what he that's what he sounded like. They, there was always the thing where he Pedro would like needle billy jack haynes he'd be like billy you're not going to make it you're not going like anytime billy jack haynes would like take a nap in the locker room he goes you're not going to make it billy you're not going to make it which just shows how tough pedro is that you're going to needle billy jack haynes living walking breathing volcano good you know and pedro's like yeah sure why not bring it you know
0: Later in 81, Mike would go to his first ever full-time territory working for Gene Kiniski and Al Tomko in Vancouver's NWA All-Star Wrestling. There he'd be the lumberjack Klondike Mike, the nephew of Klondike Bill. He'd do a lot of tag team wrestling, teaming up with King Parsons and Gene Kiniski. He'd even win the Vancouver NWA Canadian Tag Team titles with his pal Danny O. The Vancouver territory doesn't pop up too often. Jake, do you know anything about it?
2: It's it was a pretty cool spot. It's one of those kind of like smaller territories. I think it eventually got absorbed with Stampede, but it was always like a, a it was kind of the way like the Houston territory was. Mm. It's in the middle of Texas, but like it worked well with World Class and then or and also the Amarillo territory also mid-south. Like it had a very good working relationship. But it was a smaller territory. It was had its one big town obviously but yeah the vancouver territory it was kind of just a smaller area but like from what i understand they had some really 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 big shows and a lot of the stampede guys would always like oh when we go to vancouver it's gonna be it's going to be awesome. I don't know if that's because of party town or because the crowds are so good, but it was one of those just smaller, like little territories that was close to other territories and worked well with other territories, but it was its own independent thing. So it was kind of like the Houston of Canada. That's kind of how I always understood it.
1: Yeah, the one cool thing that I found out was Al Tomko is pretty much credited for kicking off Rowdy Roddy Piper's career when he was there. So I assume Jake was talking about why it brought people to Vancouver. So if Piper got big there, I assume it was the cocaine. It was really fucking good.
2: Well, I think it was also heroin in <laughs> Vancouver, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? So like, yeah, there's all kinds of great drugs. It's just, <laughs> like, hey, you know, I guess I think like it was like legal or it was it was something crazy with with the drugs there. Like there's opium dens. I've heard oh. I've heard some things about Vancouver. Hence why all those guys are like, I can't wait to go to Vancouver.
0: All I know about Vancouver is Bryant Reeves and the Vancouver Grizzlies. (laughs) Wow. After dropping his tag titles, Mike would start off 1982 wrestling in Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling using his real name, Mike Shaw. Some of you may remember Mike in WCW. You may only know him from WWF. But Stampede is where he'd spend the majority of his career clocking in seven years in the promotion, wrestling the usual Stampede suspects, including Jim Neidhart, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Davey Boy, and Dynamite Kid. Uh,
2: let, let me have you. Let me have you for, like, seven years. I, I love that this you get the amateur wrestling will come you, or sometimes you come with me. I mean, Come on, you got a nice mustache. You got a amateur I'd like to have you. Is you this this is how you recruit everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I'll call you by a real name. Oh, okay. Drop that Klondike. Drop the Klondike. I'm sorry. My, my name's Mike. Yeah, Mike. Mike. Mike, what's your last name? I don't know if I want to tell you that right now. Tell me right now. I'll have you. I'll grab you. Shaw, Shaw, Shaw. Shaw, Shaw. Okay, Shaw. Maybe I'll grab you. Let me grab you. You're not
1: winning me. Do I get a sign bonus or anything? No,
2: you don't get bonus. No, just let me have you. Just no. Just come here. Grab it and we end with orgasm much like every Stu heart impersonation we end with orgasm uh, i thought it was a strangling murder
1: uh, either or uh,
2: well i mean i don't know what Stu's daddy issues are like and as mike shaw
1: said Stu was a good guy but he had one problem he had too many fucking kids
2: <laughs> I'm, gu- I'm guessing he likes some of the kids, but not all the kids, judging by that statement. Well, he, I added the fucking just for emphasis. But Shaw said, out of the twelve hearts, he wrestled
1: six of the eight boys and all four son-in-laws. So I think, I mean, that's a pretty good record there.
2: Okay, if I was to guess, I'm pretty sure he liked Owen. Oh yeah, he loved yeah. We'll get into that. He fucking loved Owen. <sighs> See, it's 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 weird. I think he would have liked Brett, and Brett would have spoke up for him. So, obviously, by that logic, he fucking hated Bruce. Like, right away, <laughs> he fucking hated Bruce. You know, Ross was pretty, pretty level headed. He would have been okay with him. Keith was fucking salt of the earth, but he, he might have got sideways with Keith. Nightheart was just a madman. So, he be, I bet he didn't like him. <laughs> um,.
1: I mean, that's the one thing that uh, Shaw came across. Like, like he he, he would be truthful about people. But he did. I can't see Mike Shaw hating someone. He seems like such a good dude. Where he's like Smith Hart.
2: I guarantee he fucking hated Smith Hart. Yes, two Smith. last names. I think I think Smith. Jesus. I think Smith. I think Smith was his name. He's 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 the most carny of all the hearts, which is saying something from that family. <laughs> yes. When they refer to it as the Adams family, like like he goes. Yeah, Smith. I think it's Smith. Yeah, right. a
1: name like Smith Smithart sounds like they fucked up on the birth certificate. The, like, yeah, the, just, just
2: keep it. He's the guy that goes to all the shows in Canada and has autographed pictures of Owen. Like, oh, these are the last ones <laughs> right. left. Surprisingly, right. I, have, I have autographed pictures of, of Owen, and they're just left over from the office. This is an
1: Owen water bottle. He drank out of it. Yeah, <laughs> he's
2: one of those guys, and usually has hooked somebody, some young kid, into thinking that he's going to, you know, be trained by Bret Hart someday because that's his brother. I'm trying to remember which one passed away. I think it was Dean. He was a referee. He, I think, from, all, from my recollection, he was pretty cool, though. I, I think he was a bit temperamental. Um, <laughs> but I, I know Brett did care for him deeply or always try to look out for him so yeah i get, that's that's kind of the thing i can usually guess if like you like this person or you were buddied up with like if you like bruce fucking 85 percent of the fucking family was not your cup of tea apparently <laughs> um but if but then after that it gets a little bit selected everybody liked owen brett just depend on the your relationship with them and then it just kind of delineates from there
0: So, at first, Mike would more or less hang out at the bottom of the card, but he was still there, he was working, he was making a name for himself. In late 84, Mike did a run in All Japan, tagging with Tiger Singh and some of the people he got to wrestle with in All Japan, the Funks, Harley, and Bockwinkle, Bruiser, and Stan Hansen, Giant, Baba, and Rusher Kimura.
2: And Jesus, because that's about as high as it gets when it comes to All Japan. Like After that, that's the only way it's like... Team up with Jesus and Muhammad, if that's as good as you're (laughs) going to get. So,
1: Yeah, I couldn't find any footage of any of this stuff anywhere. It's probably in some all Japan mega torrent or something. But uh, not only did Shaw have a tag match against Baba, he got a win over Baba. I don't know if he pinned him, but shit, man, you got a tag team win over Baba. That's pretty damn good.
0: In late 85, after a tour of South Africa, Mike would go back to Calgary and hop into the gimmick that would put a little heat behind his name teaming up with the great gama Singh, this led to mike changing his ring name to makan Singh. Go muck Singh, they always Muckin? pronounce
1: it yeah mucking it, it it's so fucked up you read it but every time they said it it sounded like mucca or mucking M- The the end was always just barely on the end of it yeah i know it's fucked up
0: and i i guess this was an like evil hill foreigner gimmick
2: well the demographics of like the calgary area if i'm not mistaken has a large Middle Eastern, even Pakistani.
1: That's the, uh, he was billed as a born again Pakistani. Yes, <laughs> like, they're, they're,
2: like the way that Mexicans are vilified in certain areas of America, and the way that Italians were vilified when they came over, the way that Jews are vilified in certain areas. Uh, the Pakistanis were kinda in that same boat right there, so as progressive as you think you are, Canada, you still have your <laughs> corners of racism in professional wrestling, so let's not hide from that and Gama Singh met that man oh, what wow. a great fucking dude, man. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Like any and here's the thing. Sometimes I'll flip through the channels and, and I'll just kind of see what's going on impact. And I, I think like gamma Gama's been on a couple of times. Oh wow. And I'm and I have to stop just to see him kind of promo because I fucking I love Gama sing so much. Like he I interviewed him for the Dynamite Kid documentary. He's such a level headed, cool fucking dude. Wow. And just well respected by anybody who worked with him and then you know you put him and Mike Shaw together like gosh if you were feuding against those guys like that must have been like a night off guys are going to take care of you and the just racist Calgary crowd that we know (laughs) Calgary can be just how, how hot that would have been of an angle
1: Cornette brought this up, but Mike did as well as he would use kind of the local politics to fuck with people. He, would, I mean, it'd be like Jake going, cutting a promo that, you know, shitty fucking Charlotte Mayor V. Lyles just needs to get the fuck out of office.
2: Yeah. it was Weird fucking bumper stickers that are all <laughs> over Plaza Midwood, which should be the most progressive part of town.
1: Mm, that's interesting. I might know who's behind that. Um, going on, uh, but yeah, they would talk about how uh, Shaw would bring or would wear an Edmonton Oilers jersey as a subtle fuck you to Calgary fans apparently that's a unc versus duke type thing but uh he would just do that little kind of easy subtle heel shit to really get people riled up even
2: more Yes, yeah, he people think just the southern territories did the like the kind of like the race baiting. <laughs> no fucking calgary you were no fucking different all right like that's the way pro wrestling's work is just fucking racism uh get people mad enough they'll buy tickets and come see it so the fact that we're not doing like doing that anymore just shows how far we've come as a progressive sport <laughs> and then we get these old times like oh we can't get heat the way we used to you mean me races like that's you mean that's is that what you're talking about and then they immediately say yeah <laughs> the, you nailed
1: it exactly I, actually it's more like
2: god damn motherfucker me i can't get heat like i used to <laughs> let me swing this uh, the tennis racket around <laughs> Goddamn.
0: In 86, after Honky Tonk Man left Stampede to go work for WWF, Honky's North American title was vacated. Mockham would take on Owen Hart for the belt on Halloween, October 31st, winning and holding it till January 19th, 1987, when Owen took it from him. They trade the belts back and forth, uh, with Mike winning it back January 30th, Owen taking it on April 10th, seeing winning. May 6th, 88, before dropping it to Don Morocco, December 9th, 1988.
1: And to give you an idea of what this feud meant to Owen, to Muckin, to just the territory, Muckin, or let's say Shaw would send out his uh, tape to promoters to try to get booked or everything. He'd, had a, he'd have a 15-minute tape and 12 minutes was him working Owen Hart. He used to talk about how they would used to, as big as Shaw was, 320 plus, he would have 30, 35 minute matches against Owen. And they just had a chemistry that was just, it worked so good for that high flyer athletic versus the monster big dude dynamic. The, they had so many good little bits throughout their feud. There's eight matches on YouTube. I watched every single one of those fuckers. There's, they're mostly clipped, but there's good stuff there's the old thing where Muckin would get the foreign object he would try to hit Owen with it but then Owen would get it away from him somehow put it in his trunks and then we would kind of forget about it it's about halfway through the match and then Owen would end up winning the match and then the manager would come in and point to Owen's tights and the ref would go in there and find the foreign object in there and be like oh fuck you cheated and then DQ's him and then Muckin holds onto the belt and gets the heat for basically Owen being the good guy but then he gets fucked over
2: yeah, usually, it's usually halfway through, it's usually like right at the end because crowds nowadays will forget that it's in there. I know there that that's and,
1: kind of why I liked it because they they kind of built, it was a little story to the match. Yeah, yeah. And,
2: it, and it's just kind of right there. Usually, like that happens, bang bang, like right away. Yeah. Like he tucks it in, puts it away, or or whatever. So
1: they also did uh, this is because this is around eighty seven. So we talked about in the JYD episode the famous blinding. Um, They do, they use this one. They use the fireball, but uh, Owen gets hit with the flame by Gama Singh. The next match, Owen comes out in eye bandages, which is kind of difficult if you're trying to, you know, fucking see. They do an angle where there's a doctor who has to call the match because Muckin's beating the crap out of him too much and Owen might go blind. They just, they built it up so good of just like, oh God, can, is Owen going to be able to see again? And building up the babyface love that the crowd got through him. They just had good heat back and forth. They worked together so well. And yeah, check out the matches on there because Owen's just flying all over the place. It is great stuff. You want to look it up on YouTube.
0: Jake,
2: do you know where a lot of the Stampede footage is? That's a good question. Vince has most of it now. I think a lot of that got kicked over. Also, too, there's like different eras of Stampede because Stu sold off his territory Sold over to, over to Vince, and that's how you got the Bulldogs. You got Brett uh, Neidhart. All all went over, and then Stu was supposed to lay dormant and be done. Well, then Bruce talked him into coming and bringing it back. So some of that footage got lost through time, and I don't know if if Vince was really collecting the footage at the, at the time that he sold it the first time. And I don't know if there would have been too much. Like anything that I've seen, is just kind of popped up here and there. There's a couple private collectors that have some stuff. Um, there's some stuff out there like if you look at like i know like tape trading wise there's a lot of comp tapes like you can get it it, it was somebody like brian pillman owen hart you can get a lot of their stuff but some of that at the first sale is kind of lost forever for whatever reason
1: the one interesting thing i found when looking up all this stuff apparently in like the early days of tape trading when it was you know newsletters and uh, just people calling people and sending them their address was like the 85 to 89 stampede tapes were just like some of the most prized and wanted stuff of all early VHS tape traders so it was like "Ooh, early nerd shit love it
0: I was just thinking about that as it relates to uh i guess mike shaw's legacy where most people only remember him as bastion booger but he has seven years of good stampede work that you just can't find
1: it anywhere. <laughs> yeah right i mean when i was looking up stuff and it was just oh bastion booger and he was norman lunatic and then i'm reading all these comments by people's like oh man his stampede stuff his, his mic work is so good and he got so much heat and he was just kind of a natural just loud screaming Comfortable man on the mic, and how good his big man stuff was, and it was just like, oh, I didn't know any of this shit about this dude. One thing that I should have known about Stampede is I had no clue that Liger had a run in Stampede as his under his real name Kichi Yamada. I mean, there, there's there's matches. uh I forget what the tag match was. I think it's Owen and uh Yamada versus Shaw and I think Gama, but it was just like, oh shit, I forgot that. Liger was there, or I didn't know Liger was there, and it kind of makes sense. Another friend of mine brought up how Liger was there, and then kind of Owen and <phone rings> ended up going to New Japan. So I figured that was that connection there that there made this, that
2: happen. There was this working relationship where New Japan and an office in Mexico and Stampede always saw the value of hey, our guys, you know, we need to freshen up the roster. So we need an influx of new talent and rotating talent, and the talent we know that gets over, like they kind of need to go away, so that when they come back, they mean something, and then they'll get stale and they'll ship them off somewhere else. But also, too, you know, with with Stu training guys, he knows that they need to become more worldly, and New Japan also wanted some of their stars to get some American experience and bring some of that over yeah, there. Hiroshi Hase's
1: in and, and you know, Stampede, exactly, too. And, yep. uh,
2: and then also, too the importance of lucha libre as well so they were trying to to do this kind of working relationship where you know guys would spend a little time in japan go over to calgary because that was north american wrestling and then they started incorporating um some lucha libre stuff and just kind of had this this whole cycle of guys going like okay we well, kinda stay on, in stampede right now go down to mexico come back you're a big deal in calgary the home territory and then when you get to all that, go to japan and then just alternating and moving around then you would go tours in the middle of this and come back and then so that way when you come back to Calgary like oh this guy's been in Mexico this guy was in Japan and it seems like he's a bigger deal all of a sudden and then also too you're getting people from Mexico from Japan and all of a sudden you seem like this more of an international promotion as opposed to this local territory in Calgary, Alberta Canada.
1: Hell yeah. Uh, Other random tidbits I found just digging deep Uh, he had football helmet matches with Jim Neidhart which apparently they would just face off in a three-point stance and then just slam their helmets into each other until someone lost so amplifying the CTE fun there and then there's one great thing I would suggest you look up it's Mike Shaw Gary Albright doing a public service announcement promo to not drink and drive as heels. And it was like, we know you might not like us as people, but please, don't drink and drive. So I was just wondering, Jake, have you ever had to do a public service announcement type promo for any type of commercial or TV station?
2: No, but I always think about the... Ones where it says "Just say no to drugs," and it was Jake the Snake Roberts <laughs> from, from the magazine in the '80s. That's always the one that gets posted around. <laughs> Not so much anymore. now. Nah. Jake's got his life together, <laughs> and uh, he can get a promo and like change the fucking world. Apparently, <laughs> right. whatever he yeah, wants. So, um, yeah, I remember that was always like a meme for for quite some time. <laughs> Hey there, kids. This is the Man Scout, Jake Manning, and I'm here to let you know that, hey, drugs are really bad. And want to know why? Because I've taken a shitload of them. Behind this cheery exterior, you know, I, I put this uniform on. I seem like a very straight-laced individual. I tuck my shirt in appropriately so that way I have the gig line going up and down. You don't know what a gig line is because you never <laughs> served in the military before or in the Boy Scouts, whichever. That's where you learn that. You get that gig line. You get perfect straight-laced, literally straight-laced up and down. But see, that's the thing. You're going to have a lot of Ups and downs if you take drugs, kids. That's a bad road to go down. Trust me, I've seen that dark path. I've gone down that dark path. Hey, have you ever stared at a bottle of whiskey longer than an hour and be like, ooh, I bet that would feel good. <laughs> I feel like good inside of me, that entire bottle. And then all of a sudden, you have one drink. Then all of a sudden, you turn on TV and Scarface is on. And you're like, ah, it looks like this is what I'm doing for the next three hours. I, even though it's, <laughs> even though it's like two in the morning, you got to get up. You got to go to work the next day. You got to mix up an educational television program tomorrow <laughs> at 6 a.m., you know? But no, it's okay. Scarface is on. You got the drinks are flowing. The Everclear and orange juice is going down so smooth. And that's the scary part. You're like, man, this is Everclear. People, like, make jokes about this. They, they can't even breathe. They set this stuff on fire. You put this in your belly. And you're just drinking it like it's nothing. and you got probably you know just enough you're just catching a buzz now and that's scary you know but that's okay you don't have to be scared all you have to say is just say no
1: (laughs) thank you nancy reagan wasn't that her
0: (laughs) so mike would continue to be a staple of stampede wrestling until it closed its doors in 1989 at the time, Mike had just got married, he traveled the world, he'd made a good bit of money. He was actually considering quitting the business and moving back home to Michigan. But after doing another run in South Africa, Mike returned home to a message from Jim Ross in WCW. Jim
1: Ross, who he didn't even know who he was, or like, that was the thing with Mike. It was so interesting. He's like, he's a big sports dude and everything, but he bit it like, I mean, I'm not a dick, and I'm not like trying to insult the business, but I'm just pro wrestling. You know, it's my moneymaker is what I do, but it's not what I'm... You know, Jones and four being a mark four. Old
2: old farm boy told me all I do is just be a fat guy. It <laughs> turns out I like exceeded the the bar for fat guys. I mean, I didn't have to do very much. Turns out I did way more than I should have. I'm like, man, I did too much work. Well, I better get out of the business then. And I just I didn't think anything. I'm just making money because I'm a big fat guy. And that's what farm boy told me I could do. just be a big fat guy in wrestling. And then somebody's like, hey, for a big fat guy, you move around. I go, what? what? <laughs> I, I'm not supposed to work this hard. Well, I better get away from this as fast as possible. And that's. what what i did
0: <laughs> mike called jr back they talked a bit and it ended with him flying down to atlanta and after a few days worth of interviews mike got himself the job managed by theodore long Mike hit wcw with a brand new name and gimmick norman the lunatic a crazy man billed from the state hospital norman was <laughs> Norman the Lunatic was controlled by Teddy Long with the use of a key and threats of shipping him back to the insane asylum. Just a complete mockery of mental health.
1: I mean, you know, he's patient number 502, and like most mental patients, he's got an airplane seatbelt wrapped around his head. (laughs) I don't know what that does. It keeps his brain in? I don't fucking know.
2: Well, and so you gotta keep in mind, at this time in WCW, I think they're, like, trying to be more like WWE, WWE WWF at the time. So they're trying to incorporate some things and, like i think we're a little bit before the white castle of fear match
1: it makes sense the person that helped him the most with his crazy psycho asylum lunatic character was terry funk (laughs) he said that uh of course that terry funk would have the most insight to uh, portray a crazy person (laughs) in the ring jakey that's pretty uh accurate that's pretty good
0: I love how pro wrestling has established a world where you can just roll up to a mental institution and be like, give me the biggest one you got.
2: (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Uh, Here's a good story about like a crazy person. (laughs) Uh, Well, crazy person gimmick, I should say. Oh, okay. Sonny Fargo. He was a longtime referee in the Mid-Atlantic area. Obviously, I think he was like a shoot brother of jackie fargo hmm. who is you know the yeah. guy who is the king of memphis feuded with jerry lawler and ended up getting you know the reason why jerry lawler is jerry the king lawler right. because of jackie fargo now i think it was the fabulous fargos there was um jackie and uh i'm forgetting the other one i'm drawing a blank on it right now um the other one was the hell's angels there was Jackie, and then there was the guy who was a Hells Angel. I, I, he was I, a real Hells Angel. Yes, he was a real Hells <laughs> Angel. He was, very, he was a very eclectic individual, as yeah. we would
1: say. A shooter in a different way. Uh, <laughs> yes, maybe in
2: multiple different ways. And there would always be this certain situation, like there'd be one, one Fargo herd, or there'd be some sort of thing, and they would do something where they take out one of the Fargos, one of the fabulous Fargo brothers. They would take, take one of them out, and they'd always do this thing where, like, Jackie would... He was beautiful at cutting promos. And he's just like, I can't believe you did this to my brother. But I can hear. I can hear something in the distance. I can hear the chains at the mental institution already coming undone. (laughs) And next week, we're going to have roughhouse Fargo come in here oh, and shit. show you guys up and basically like it was Sonny Fargo who was a referee in a different territory but in Memphis he could come in and comparable of size but the whole gimmick behind roughhouse Fargo was he was insane and he was just like it in a tag match, he would just, without being tagged, he would just come in and start punching people. <laughs> it didn't fucking matter, and just everybody just sold for him. All right, that was the gimmick. He's got uh, crazy man strength. Yeah, <laughs> he's crazy man strength, and he'd just be all over the place and just being buck wild, and just and and, and Jackie would always set up a good promo and be just basically Sonny visiting his brother. And coming to to see him or coming in town, like, oh, we should do something with him. And they called him Roughhouse Fargo. And everybody just sold for him punching people. And he would chase people around. He would chase <laughs> the opposing team's, like, manager and stuff. Like, chase him out of the building and chase him through the stands. And he would just be all over the place and he just be crazy. And they'd say, you know, Sonny, just be as crazy as possible. And this is the, during the time where well, that could happen in that territory. And nobody's ever been like, oh, that's the referee over there on the other channel right, or whatever because yeah. they, did, they didn't know. Yeah. So, he could, so Sonny Fargo could come in, be a part of a main event angle, and then come back to the Carolinas and just be a regular old referee <laughs> and nobody knows the difference. And But he would go to Memphis and then he'd be the main event there, which is probably part of the reason why Memphis had such the reputation that it did for being like – carnival s cartoony sideshow type territory is that this guy who's a referee over here is coming in and involved in like a main event match over here at the mid-south coliseum so but that's <laughs> of all the crazy man gimmicks uh roughhouse fargo is definitely at the top of the list that's awesome
0: norman the lunatic would debut at clash of champions 7 june 14th, 1989 live from fort bragg north carolina and uh sidebar George South wrestled on this show against the WCW tag team with a bell gimmick from Belleville <laughs> called the Ding Dongs. Jake, explain yeah, your goddamn profession to us.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, we could do a whole Patreon episode on this particular match. Really? Oh yes. There's 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 a deep dive onto the Ding Dongs. There's I a deep dive it, yeah. into George's tag partner Cougar J. Oh, we need to save that for a Patreon. All right, bonus. that's a, yeah, maybe that's official. Maybe if you want to do it later on today, it'll be a good we could go 15 20 minutes on it possibly 15 to 20 minutes but it's it's fucking juicy um, <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of aspects to it and Cougar j is actually a very interesting individual so do you, we'll, we'll at least g All that right, up that
1: way. One of my favorite uh, kind of storytelling bits of the Clash of the Champions match that Nick brought up is uh, Teddy Long comes out, debut match, screaming, Norman didn't do it. Norman didn't <laughs> do it. I mean, for like an eight-year-old kid to be like, ooh, what did this crazy motherfucker do? Did he kill people? What happened? Just that, that hook. I, I, I love stuff like that. And of course, they never revealed it. But uh, I, I Norman didn't do it. it had me hooked immediately.
0: Norman would debut against Mike Justice and in 47 seconds, Norman hits Mike with a big corner splash and wins. Then Norman is drug off by the orderlies just like mom was. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and the
1: thing that made me fucking cackle was the crowd. He's already over. The crowd sings, na, 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 na. na They do the whole song as he's strapped to a gurney to take back to the mental asylum. God damn it, that's my thing.
2: I run the WDF and only us, only we do the na, na, na song. We do the na, na, na song. I fire people on a daily basis just so I can go na, 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 na. <laughs> Na 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 na. Hey. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> do it all wrong and out of sync without yeah. a rhythm whatsoever. No pitch. No, no pitch no, at no all. No pitch whatsoever. I do the na 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 song. Na 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 <laughs> na. Na 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 na. All
0: right. From there, Norman jumped on 89's Great American Bash Tour, working tons of dates against Steve Casey.
1: Not Scott Casey, just to be clear. <laughs> Um, Also, I want to bring up around this time. I didn't know a thing that existed, and I probably uh, looked like a noob for it. But Norman appeared on uh, many Funk's Grill segments, which was Terry Funk's Piper's Pit type thing that I didn't know was even a thing. Uh, Terry Funk has fun calling uh, Norman, he reminds me of John Belushi on a two-week binge. (laughs) <laughs> All right, he also calls him Michael Keaton Fat Man. Yeah, it's 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 some
2: fun garbage if Wasn't you want to Wasn't John look it up. Belushi dead at this time? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very, yeah. very controversial by Terry Funk. There.
1: Yeah, Belushi was early eighties, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> that's like making a that's like making a Kobe Bryant joke <laughs> in the middle of an interview segment two or three years from now.
0: <laughs> yep. Then at September's Clash of Champions eight, he met his old Canadian pal, Flying Bryant. Uh, JR and Cornette are on commentary and Cornette mentions all of Pillman's football credits and I bet JR was like, dude, I have one thing. Can you, <laughs> can you not?
2: Yeah, that's the, that's a the funny thing with Cole Cabana debuting in AEW. Jim Ross referred to his college football career and Cole Cabana's whole reason for playing football in college is so Jim Ross can mention it on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Which funny enough, pretty much the whole reason why I was a collegiate shot butter was so Jim Ross can mention it on commentary. <laughs> so Jim Ross, you have not checked all the boxes just
1: yet. It's like the ultimate long con. That's that's admirable.
0: Uh, you guys watch this?
1: Uh I did. I mean it's good, uh it's kinda kinda has the Owen Shaw dynamic of, you know, athletic dude doing good stuff and Shaw doing big man stuff. Um yeah, what Tillman gets the win with the crucifix pin which yeah. you know if you're not going to do like you're not going to do that move unless you trust the big dude. Um uh, more more good uh topical stuff uh just cuz you know wrestling did that back then. At the end Cornette says that Jim Baker just moved in next door to Norman at the asylum because yeah, good old Jim Baker.
0: So Norman the Lunatic came in as a heel character. However, crowds mostly just laughed at him and Mike really didn't mind but this led to norman turning on teddy long and getting pretty over as a newly found baby face
1: i mean that's what it seems like it was kind of i liked how they did it because almost immediately people were kind of endeared by this you know simple crazy dude but he seemed sweet and then of course you get teddy long berating him and treating him like crass so you immediately you know work all the empathy and feeling sorry for this dude basically being a slaves to pro wrestling and it, it, it i love the i love the kind of mini narrative that they did with this and it it, teddy finally had enough because they just brought too many goddamn teddy bears to the, to the ring for him it was just
2: too much i'm saying these goddamn teddy bears get these teddy bears out of here teddy long does not like teddy bears you understand you're confusing the two you think that this teddy bear is teddy long this is not teddy long this is this is a teddy bear this is a stuff full of cotton I am not full of cotton sir <laughs>
1: I like how the Teddy Long is basically like
2: a Ernie Ladd on a six. Yeah, yeah it is. It pretty much. If it was any more than it would be Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd does not like Teddy Bells. That's where we get up a little bit higher. Well, Teddy Long is a little more here. Teddy will keep it a little bit more fine because Teddy looking good. He got my knockers on. That's what Teddy Long does. Come over my knockers on. I make tag team matches or bring out The Undertaker. And, and, and people people always talk about how like I don't like you know professional Wrestling being so formulated. Well, guess what? I have made a living off it being in a formula that's the two things that i do play up
0: speaking of the uh teddy bears people started giving them to norman sometimes up to 300 a week so mike would just donate them to a children's hospital which is super awesome of it.
1: i mean yeah, if that doesn't show how over you are i mean for that for a kind of you know mid lower card gimmick for people to be bringing that many damn teddy bears uh, it's impressive man
0: So from there, it was more working live events uh, facing people like Tom Zink, Tommy Rich, the Iron Sheik, and eventually Kevin Sullivan leading to a Falls Count Anywhere match at Clash of Champions 10, Texas Shootout.
1: And just to give a little background on these little mini-feud, you know, of course, uh, Norman the Lunatic, simple dude, he sees woman, and of course he gets a crush, and then of of course Kevin Sullivan doesn't like it, and there's a great bit, if you want to look it up on YouTube, that Norman paints a picture of woman and presents it to her in the middle of the ring and she immediately <laughs> hates it and destroys it. And then Kevin Sullivan comes out and beats Norman with his own painting that he paid Aww. for his, that he painted for his crush. So if you I mean if you can't make him any more endearing and lovable, I mean, what else can you do?
0: On the way down to the ring, Cornette calls Norman a child molester. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. I rewound that three times
1: to get the proper context. It was like, nah, he just
0: calls him a child molester.
2: Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to cancel a motherfucker from time to time.
0: Would anyone like to explain this match specifically, the ending?
2: Um, I, yeah, I actually I got good notes on that. All right.
1: So it's false Count Anywhere is... Nick mentioned um we obviously end up brawling everywhere because Sullivan likes that and as people might know from Sullivan's feud they had the the bathroom spot and Sullivan apparently this might be the first bathroom brawl spot ever they are fighting towards the back Norman throws Sullivan into the women's bathroom um he notices it was the women's and then he he immediately woman no 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 So Norman immediately is a polite person and can't go in the women's bathroom. A woman screams "Ah!" and runs out of the bathroom. So Norman takes this as a green light that it is now clear so that he then like a gentleman goes into the bathroom to beat the shit out of Kevin Sullivan. We have just a camera on a bathroom door and a bunch of sounds for probably 20 seconds. And then Sullivan stumbles out, kind of does a flare flop. Mike, walks out and then Nick Patrick wait, raises his hand for the win. We do not see the finish at all. It is filmmaking at its Zenith and it's, it's funny as shit. You should check it out. Oh yeah. I, I missed the best part. Mike walks out holding the toilet lid to the toilet that they apparently broke off, which I think if you want to deep dive on this shit, Mike as muck and sing in stampede was called the toilet bowl and they would actually bring toilet seats to the ring. To heckle him so i think mike's doing a little throwback to his old character here this match is fucking deep
2: also to t- toilet bowl seats are actually far more dangerous than what you think i uh, I, I like i've been hit with many a one i i was i was in a match with darren corbin and darren Corbin's like hey i got this toilet seat but trust me i don't i don't do anything with it because i know how dangerous it is and he just merely just put it over over my head and was going to choke me with it. Well, on his way, I must have moved a certain way and like the edge of the toilet bowl caught the bridge of my nose and Ugh. busted me open Ugh. and I had a cut for a couple of weeks. This was anyway, recent, right? This was recent. This was yeah. back in January. It yeah. just busted. I just blood running down like the front of my nose and everything. It, it busted open like really good. Just and Just in the slightest way. If he would have came with any type of force whatsoever, it could have really fucked me up. Jesus
0: Christ. February 1990, Norman would head to Greensboro, North Carolina for WrestleWar War 90. There, he'd take on Cactus Jack Manson, and Norman gets a super positive crowd reaction here.
1: That's what surprised me about all this. Like, I heard he was over, but then you see this stuff, and he is super over. And I want to rewind just a bit. Before this match, Norman has an interview with Missy Hyatt, and she gives him a little Boom. hug and a kiss before the match. And if you listen really closely, Missy leans in during the hug and says, since I'm a believer in eugenics, I'd have you put down. And then the rest of the match goes on. But you know, it's it's a pretty interesting little moment moment if you want to lean in and turn up the volume.
0: Armed with a spinner hat and carrying a teddy bear, Norman Norman beats Foley when Foley goes for a sunset flip and gets met with the dreaded tombstone taint drop.
1: Can we talk about, of all the jobbers throughout all of this that we'll get into, if you need to watch tape, watch tape on Norman and realize that your sunset flip will never work. You might <laughs> think it will, but it will never fucking work.
0: Next up for the Lunatic was Capital Combat 90, The Return of RoboCop. Norman and tag partners, The Road Warriors, opened up the show against Bam Bam Bigelow, Kevin Sullivan, and Cactus Jack the road warriors come out on the back of motorcycles so norman comes out in a little <laughs> foot powered scooter the road warriors and norman get a really chaotic win i like this match a lot
1: dude it was pretty fun uh, norman and cactus go at it and i told uh, the the bit with the scooter after the motorcycles that was that was wow that was good <laughs> a bunch of the crap i watched that's worth looking up if you're interested uh, find his tommy rich match There's a bit where Tommy Rich pulls a teddy bear out from the crowd and as soon as Norman's about to punch him, Tommy hands him the teddy bear. Norman is so overjoyed and happy and smiling, he falls to the mat to hug the bear and Tommy Rich pins him as Norman is celebrating with his teddy bear. There's a Norman tag match with Abdullah the Butcher versus the Galaxians where Norman comes out in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mask. And then there's a Rick Steiner match where Norman gets German suplex by Rick, which shows you how goddamn crazy he is, but he actually hits it.
0: It Wasn't long until WCW politics came into play and it would affect Mike's WCW career despite being over AF. Norman was sitting at home sometimes for five or six weeks in a row while in his words, the bookers were getting their friends over on TV. And even though he was making great money to sit at home, Mike was frustrated. He was a pro wrestler and he wanted to be on the road being a pro wrestler, which I don't agree with. If someone wants to pay me to not do stand up ever again, send it my way. (laughs) This podcast is my favorite thing I've ever done creatively for the right price. I will quit at the end of this sentence.
1: Was so like the hundred grand Patreon level, yeah.
2: <laughs> otherwise known as the WCW level of Patreon. Like that's what we should do. We should we should have a pay, a WCW level of Patreon where we just don't do anything. Like if you pay us this amount, yeah. we'll stop and sit at home and collect a check. That's the WCW level. That's good shit.
1: I always I always have this. This is a total sidebar, but I always have this idea to get a uh, get some shit and put it on eBay, but make it like ten million dollars banking on like some Saudi Arabian prince going on eBay and just saying, fuck it. Because all <laughs> you need is one drunk one online to just make your life complete forever.
2: Listen, there was a <laughs> motherfucker in South Korea that was willing to make rustlers versus zombies too. Like he had the money, had the check, and was like, let's oh. fucking do this. And just never came through. But he had the money. See, he- you you
1: bank on those billionaire crazy people to just throw whatever at you and your life's set. <laughs> I think we need this level. <laughs>
0: so the final blow to norman the lunatic came when Ole anderson took over as booker Ole wanted to quote make it like the 1950s <laughs> Any, anybody 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 because there's the- i think oh i think, oh, <laughs> it's, I too, think it's too easy <laughs> i
2: think what ollie really meant to said is i don't give a fuck about this shit fuck you
1: <laughs> <laughs> fuck this job and i think you misspoke Oli wanted to bring it back to the 1850s Nick. <laughs> Also needs to be said that uh, he was actually so over that uh, Sting and Luger actually spoke up for him. Uh, He talks about it on the shoot. There's another source on it, too. But uh, Mike, I believe him because Mike just seems like down to earth, not give a shit in a nice way, dude. But Sting and Luger couldn't convince Oli to do it. So talk about stubborn.
0: Despite that, Norman the Lunatic was taken off the TV and Mike was given a new gimmick, Trucker Norm. And I want to clear something up about Trucker Norm because I've seen it in a few different places. The gimmick was a way to pay homage to Norm's truck driving dad who passed away. That is kayfabe and in reference to Norman the Lunatic's dad, not Mike Shaw's. Mike Shaw's dad didn't drive a truck and Mike Shaw's thoughts on the gimmick were, it stuck.
1: The storytelling on this is perplexing too. So he's a crazy person in an asylum his dad dies and he gets better. <laughs> that is backwards. <laughs> like he, so he loved his dad, but him dying was a positive influence. I don't, I don't, I don't fucking understand any of this. And it, most, most of this had to be explained. Uh, I think it's explained if you want to look it up on the Tony Burton like WCW Saturday Night match where Tony Schiavone's like, we're gonna fill in these blanks here because this is shit stupid as hell. <laughs>
0: Not loving his new gimmick or his spot with the company, in early January of 91, when his contract was up, Mike decided to leave WCW. Later in 1991, Shaw wrestled in the Global Wrestling Federation under Makat Singh, which apparently was a huge dumpster fire. And then he spent the majority of 1992 in CMLL in Mexico as Aaron Grundy.
1: I watched a couple of the CMML matches. There's yeah, he he does a couple good comedy spots. Uh it takes three people to Irish whip Mike Shaw. That that was funny. Uh he teases a suicide dive to the crowd's delight. There's there's some fun lucha stuff with Mike being used as he should.
2: That that's one of the things like sometimes you need like a big guy for like a post. And you know, and they're usually using comedy senses, but also too like for someone like him who wrestled someone like owen or flying brian he's a great post he's there for everything he can bump around for all these guys he can just come in and, and and do all kinds of things yeah.
1: there was another match where he's with the wfwa which is some kind of outlaw mud show in winnipeg but he has a match against the tulip which uh, some of you guys might know if you deep dive on youtube randomness is uh the tulip was a effeminate looking man in a flower costume who battled with uh the legend that is brother midnight over who was the worst wrestler and i I think i remember watching this back in the day because they had a legitimate feud of who was the worst wrestler and with jake's always under gimmick i was wondering if this inspired you in some way or if you knew about this shit absolutely not boom (laughs) (laughs) have you seen the clip though of the worst wrestler ever feud no, I gotta send that to you That's good okay. shit
0: you Brother Midnight's the We ain't gonna wear no pants Right? We ain't got no pants on <laughs> baby <laughs> Alright so uh, At some point Mike had sent a tape To WWF Sergeant Slaughter And eventually got called For a tryout After his old pal Bret Hart gave him some pointers Mike worked a match Against the great Barry Horowitz Vince liked him <laughs> And Mike got a spot With the company
2: Vince You need to book this guy He's good i tell you Work for my father, Stu. Cause I'll tell you, I'm the birthday man art. I'm vouching for <laughs> this guy, he was Mokam Singh, he was a badass, big guy. Wrestling my brother Owen. It's good. Fantastic. You do good for you, Vince. You should do it. You'd make him a serious badass heel. Goddamn, that's a good idea. You know, the first thing I'm gonna do is put a goddamn ridiculous fucking gimmick on him. <laughs> he's fat, I get to make fun of him being fat. Ha ha ha!
0: So the 6'1", 400-pounder would show up on Monday Night Raw, April 12, 1993, as Friar Ferguson making his debut against Chris Duffy. And another quick sidebar, Chris Duffy was a 90s job guy who died at the age of 35 of a brain aneurysm, which oh. is incredibly sad, but he donated his body and his tissue gave sight to two women. So that's, that's kind of a nice story.
2: Oh, Jesus, shit. Now, now I feel fucking uh. weird Of the next thing I was going to fucking say. Because <laughs> I, I, I was curious on why Friar Ferguson. And I'm wondering if uh, Mr. Movie over here, Micah, can tell me when Robin Hood Prince of Thieves came out.
1: I want to say, oh, that's a good fucking question. I'm guessing it was 91, 92. I want to say.
2: Yeah, it would have to be like two years earlier for it to finally catch up to what the wwf (laughs) was doing at the time so i if, if That, that's that's I'm curious, because if it was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, that was the inspiration for Fire Ferguson. <laughs> that's so, yeah, well. that a big blockbuster movie. Didn't they just come out with a new Robin Hood movie? with Kevin
1: Costner. Yeah, the guy from Fields of Dreams. You know that guy? Is you know, that fucking it. schizophrenic that heard all them voices and decided to build an entire sports arena? Yeah, the guy from the the, the movie about Al Capone. You know the one where the guy who just hit the baseball bat? You know that
2: guy. That guy from that movie. One of theirs in
1: the morgue. Yeah. 91. I just up. It's perfect. You
2: fucking nailed it. That's yeah, exactly yeah. that's exactly why yep. anything, especially the, the early nineties, most actually most everything in wrestling, whatever was cool two years ago is usually what ends up happening in wrestling two years
1: later. I didn't bring it up, but it was in my notes. Um when he was trucker norm, he had a little series where he tagged with um the juicer, who I didn't know was Art Barr, and f- fucking Beetlejuice gimmick. Yep. Fucking Beetlejuice gimmick. <laughs> Oh my god that was one of those things i meant to bring it up that was one of my early like probably eight or nine years old of one of those gimmicks of because he had like powder on his face and in his hair and he acted like a crazy person and he did all these athletic moves and it was I, it was one of those big influences like what is going on and just a big memory that stuck in me and i never knew it was art bar but yeah and it was like yeah they just ripped off beetlejuice oh and, 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 and trucker
2: norm they, over the top
1: they totally yeah because that was 87 <laughs> That was 87. Trucker Norm was 90. And Oli's probably like, Over the Top's the best movie I've ever fucking seen. Oli, Oli
2: Anderson loved the fuck out Over the Top because I love it's a custody battle based around arm wrestling.
1: Oh, it's interesting though because apparently Oli and Terry didn't like each other. Is, does that seem right? Because I heard that. Probably. And who the
2: fuck's in Over the Top? Mm, Terry fucking think, fuck. Think, I'm going to show you. <laughs> I got my Over the Top guy right here. I don't fucking need you. Everything's connected. Everything's connected
0: so anyway Chris Duffy fist fights this priest (laughs) after a uh, tombstone taint drop uh, one two three and Friar Ferguson was off and running Friar was on the next week's Raw number 13 Bam Bam had just beat a guy but he kept attacking him after the bell that's when Friar Ferguson comes in to make the rescue and Macho Man on commentary goes I'll tell you what I'm real confused right now (laughs) 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 <laughs> uh, but uh Bam 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 the priest square off for a sec trying to tease a feud but this feud would never happen since friar ferguson doused himself with holy water danced and you know pro wrestled the catholic church had a big problem with them I mean you can't be telling children that's what catholic priests do you know? All right.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah I, 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 had, I had a pedophile joke in my notes too but I figured you got it covered so <laughs>
0: So uh churches sending you hate mail. Is not a good look? So WWF straight up dropped the gimmick right then and there. To Vince's credit, he took care of Mike while he was sitting at home. They paid him while they were cooking up new ideas, uh, stuff like a Pizza Man gimmick, and apparently some sort of Monster Hill with a helmet that was tossed out for being too close to Vader. After about six weeks, we get the remix, Bastion motherfucking Booger. What are your first thoughts on Bastion Booger?
1: Uh, well, just, I mean, I'm sure most people know him, but if if not, I, his gimmick is Mike's a big dude, 340-ish or whatever. It's like his gimmick is that he smells bad, he's ugly, and he has what I would describe as if, if a diaper was also lingerie. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> He also screamed angry gibberish. Like, he, you, you see him, like, doing stuff or screaming stuff at the crowd, but it, it, when you really listen... It's, it's just nothing. It's just, I don't know, he's so
2: fat and ugly, he doesn't know English? I don't know. Goddamn, pal, let me, do, I, do I need to explain to you what Bastion Booger is? Yeah, I, I'm really confused, Vince. I'll explain it to you right now, pal. Basically. Because he's so fat. He can't wash all parts of his body! And because he's so slovenin', he's, he's, he's ignorant! Because if you knew you were smart, you know that you only eat raw tuna and eggs and protein bars and drink water and sit at a conference table and say you make movies, pal. <laughs> and uh, you that's how you talk. You talk with the king's English. But when you're fat and you're disgusting, you can't wash, you can't touch all parts of your body. And that means other parts of your body can they get dirty and they get smelly. And that smell, that smell, makes you want you know, just, to just puke. Just puke. <laughs> just puke. Make you want to puke all the time you're puking on yourself because you're puking on your big fat belly and then that smell goes back and you makes you want to vomit more nobody wants to be around you and you're, you, since you're not talking to people you forget what the english language is and you're just such a slobbing and smelly puke soaked individual and that's how you create bastion Booker.
0: <laughs>
1: Thanks, Vince.
0: (laughs) So Mike definitely didn't look down his nose at comedy, wrestling, or wacky characters. He specifically, though, did not care for this one. He doesn't try to defend it or himself. He admits that he and WWF handled it poorly.
1: And just to give you an idea of just, you know, how they treated it. Basically, Bastion Booger was invented for Bobby Heenan to just have a field day of fun whenever he came on screen. Uh, some of my favorites, any t- Heenan would repeatedly say in every match, what's that smell? What's that smell? He was a big fan. Uh, if there was a battle royal or who he thought he would win the match, he'd say, I'm picking Booger. Boom, zing. <laughs> Heenan to Jim Ross, he said, uh, wasn't Bastion Booger Miss Oklahoma once? Boom, pow, <laughs> take that, Jim. And, uh... Heenan got really fucking creative writing major with it. And he's like, Bastion Booger smells like old stale chili in an attic. So, Heenan's really working overtime on that one. June 19th,
0: 1993. Bastion Booger would make his WWF debut, losing to Virgil. Again, with the crucifix roll-up. So, he's he's not watching game film at all.
1: We talked about Savage. Another good Savage call in this match was uh, he comes out, debut. Savage is like... Bastion Booger, I guess. <laughs> <sighs> He's just like, I don't know what this gimmick is. What is this shit?
0: So the next week, Booger gets a little payback on Virgil, pinning him on superstars with a second rope splash.
1: There's actually a promo on YouTube to set up the rematch. And also, big, uh, big stolen gimmick victim thing at the end of this match booger screams at the camera who's next oh who's next yeah who the fuck stole that and ended up one of the biggest careers in wrestling who's the current champ of the wwe
0: (laughs) gilberg
2: i think that i think the thing that sticks up me the most of bastion booger is i think they like they showed him eating like a rotisserie chicken That's the Survivor Series uh, promo thing, Okay, yeah. And, uh, like, anytime I eat a rotisserie chicken and I'm just being nasty, I just think of Bastion Booger. So I think about Bastion Booger every time I eat a rotisserie chicken.
0: (laughs) So Bastion Booger would have a Raw match against Crush that aired June 28th with Crush in his sweet mullet. Body slams him three times and wins. But for another good Bobby Heenan thing, Bobby Heenan brings up that Bastion Booger is, in fact, Hillary Clinton's brother. <laughs> I'm not saying that's how Booger died, but what did you know, Mike Shaw? What did you know?
2: Remember when Clinton jokes were like very kind of innocent? Ha 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 <laughs> yeah. ha. And then all of a sudden, like they got a little bit darker, but also at the same time we started to know them a little bit more.
1: <laughs> well well, why do we think that people started dying? Mm-hmm. They started making jokes in the first
0: place. <laughs> oh. <laughs> From there, Booger would make the house show run, taking on Bob Backlund, which has to be a rib on him, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and would have a handful of TV wins, including one in his hometown against your boy, Sonny Rogers.
2: Damn right, Sonny Rogers.
1: One match that I cannot recommend enough. There's not much to it, but it's kind of genius. I'm going to use the word genius for everything involved. Look up Bastion Booger versus Rick the Model Martel. It's one of the best ways to fuse two gimmicks to get the best out of it on a TV match I've seriously ever seen. First off, Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan at this point are on full roast mode on Bastion Booger. I mean, Ross opens with, get the women and the children to high ground. This is right after Thanksgiving. Uh, Jim Ross says, I think he still has some cranberry sauce in his beard and Heenan like a genius says, yeah, but from what year? It is so damn good. And then the actual match, I mean, you know Rick the model Martel. He's gorgeous. He looks good. He doesn't want to be touched or hurt. Nothing needs to get messed up. He's wrestling one of the grossest, most disgusting, smelly motherfuckers in the entire world, and they don't even lock up because Rick Martel is so thrown off and appalled and disgusted by the smell that is emanating. He actually goes in for the tie-up and he can't do it because he's just ugh. The finish of this match is is. It's upper level. Rick Martell gets his arrogance spray canister and sprays Bastion Booger so that he doesn't smell like total shit. And the ref DQs Rick Martell for using a foreign object. (laughs) And Bastion Booger wins the fucking match. I fucking cackled and was just kind of blown away by the book, the creative booking that they came up with for this random TV match, but just the gimmicks fused together. To create this goofy, smart, fucking spot-on creative endeavor. I, I just, please look up this match. It is so good. It's 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 minor genius.
0: Booger's first and only WWF pay-per-view appearance was at the 1993 Survivor Series. And once again, we have to talk about this godforsaken
2: match. Do we, though? Why'd uh, you put it in the notes? I
0: just, uh, <laughs> if the Bushwhackers die, we're not doing it again.
2: Uh, <laughs> oh. we'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll just we'll just say what they always say. It's it's we talked about this match and it's available in the archives. Yeah, <laughs> just move right along. And if we want to do that again, we can do that right now.
0: <laughs> just quickly, uh, Booger teamed up with Bam Bam and the Head Shrinkers to face Men on the Mission and the Bushwhackers dressed as Doink the Clowns. Uh, Bastion actually starts off this match, and Luke Doink. Bites him in the butt like someone told Amelia Bedelia to eat ass. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, okay. okay. That joke's not for
2: everyone. Thanks for pointing that out, Nick. I have not heard the name Amelia Bedelia <laughs> in so long. I um, mean, since I was a child. And, and, and like... The, the occurrence of eating ass is such a new phenomenon that is now in, in the public zeitgeist <laughs> that you have taken something from my childhood and publicly sullied it on a podcast where I already feel delirious as it is. And you've brought that to the forefront and said it aloud. And now that it's in my head and stuck there for <laughs> all right.
0: So, uh, Booger misses his finisher. He gets hit with a battering ram. Mabel leg drops him. He gets eliminated. And then I went to wash this shit out of my eyes with 2005 Ring of Honor matches.
1: My final note on this, I said, thank God I don't have to watch the rest of this match
0: again. (laughs) Then on January 3rd, 1994, on an episode of Monday Night Raw, Bastion teamed up with Bam Bam Bigelow to take on the Smoky Guns. During the match, Booger hot tag Bam Bam, And while Bastion was on the apron selling, Luna started rubbing his back. Booger mistakenly took this for Luda being DTF, and he tries to kiss her. Bastion is rightfully met with a big old fist to the face. He's still unfazed by this and tries to give Luda a hug. Bam Bam sees his main squeeze getting Me Too'd live on Raw, so he hops out of the ring. Those two start fighting, ending with the both of them getting counted out.
1: You pretty much nailed it, but I have one correction. It's his hump, not his back, because he also has to be Quasimodo.
0: (laughs) And on the next week's Raw, Bam Bam defends Milady's honor with a diving headbutt and a pin. Booger was then scheduled to appear at ninety-four Royal Rumble, but he no-showed with the kayfabe explanation that he overate and got sick. So they're really pushing him here. The Booger character wasn't super getting over, but there's no one defining moment for how his run with wwf ended there's no one bad match one big argument one meeting with the suits the way mike talked about the way his wwf career ended is that one day dude just wasn't on the booking sheet anymore and that was it he was out of wwf in august 1994
1: and if you were a week-to-week watcher of the wwf you could see it coming if you really got the subtle clues they laid in here Look up the Bastion Booger versus John Crystal match, one sixteen ninety four. And they might the Booger even does a split screen promo during his own match saying he's gonna win the ninety-four Royal Rumble. But the key moment in this is at the end of the match, instead of pizza, instead of chili dogs, he eats fruit cocktail. Now, you might think that means nothing, but it's showing that Bastian Booger is no longer wanting to be the big, gross, disgusting creature, he's trying to get healthy. He's eating fruit cocktail, and he's moving on to different places, moving on from the WWF.
0: From there, it was wrestling as an independent, not just throughout the US, but around the world, still hitting the ring with the likes of Cactus Jack, Tony Atlas, and Typhoon. He'd focus on being more of a father, Spending time with his daughter, making it to his son's football games. He'd even run a wrestling school out of his hometown, and he'd become a manager for a security business. Mike popped up from time to time at random live shows, interviews, conventions, but over a decade later, we'd see him back on TV. On Bastion's shoot, they asked him if he'd ever go back to do a skit for the WWF, and he said sure, and Mike is a man of his word. On December 10th, 2007, during an episode of WWE Raw, which was its fifteenth anniversary special, Bastion Booger would be in the opening segment where Triple H kind of did a this is your life segment about Vince's sexual past. It is it's it's something.
1: Yeah, it Nick's right when you just have a delayed reaction of like, it was something. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. I I was kind of taken aback at how fucking stupid this was, even for knowing the times.
0: They brought out Melina, Sonny, Mae Young, and some dudes, including Bastion Booger, uh, implying that Vince banged them all. And then the Godfather brings out the Ho Train, and Bastion dances with them. It's just, what or don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
1: It's, you don't have to. You don't have to.
0: Mike's most likely final match ever was at East Coast Pro Wrestling, a TV taping, and paramus new jersey on july 24 2009 taking on prince akinon you know this promotion or this dude
2: i've heard of this promotion before um uh, this wrestler is probably somebody famous now. It's probably Ricochet's early gimmick or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Or it's, or it's probably to, it's probably like Tony Nese's gimmick he had year one or Tommaso Ciampa like six months in. Or this something. is his GI bro. Yeah, this is his GI bro. I mean, it's probably something like that. But I, I've heard of East Coast uh, pro wrestling before. Um, and as far as like the town in New Jersey, why does fucking New Jersey have these weird-ass fucking towns that, like I guarantee, that's not how it's said by the local. Like, there's a town in New Jersey called Matuchin, and it doesn't look like Matuchin. And there's Passippi or Kasepi, and there's all kinds of weird fucking towns. Like, there's Wildwoods, there's the, the Burnwoods, and and of course Atlantic City, and all those other places in Jersey City. But every once in a while, you get a fucking New Jersey town name where wrestling is allowed, and it's <laughs> fucking weird.
1: Just want to point out real quick, Matuchin is a big Catholic
0: please <laughs> uh, call back so sadly mike shaw would pass away on september 11 2010 and mike wasn't super in the spotlight around this time so there's not much known about his health or his life around this point there are even two causes of death floating around one is a pulmonary embolism which is a blood clot in the lungs that is what's listed on wikipedia however we've done what 40 wrestlers now, and there's never been an accurate Wikipedia. The most reported cause of death for Mike is a heart attack. Either way, he was way too young at just 53 years old. So, final thoughts on Mike Shaw, a.k.a. Bastion
2: Booger. You know, a a lot of people, when they talk about Mike Shaw, they always refer to his run with Owen Hart and Stampede, and they always talk about, like, man... We 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 were hoping to get this guy in at WCW. Like Jim Ross always talks about Mike Shaw when they talk about about him. Like we were hoping to get that guy. And then anytime somebody from the WWF or WWE is like, oh, the Mike Shaw that we wanted was the one that was wrestling Owen Hart and Stampede. And they always, they always talk about that. But then it's like. Well, who is a fucking idiot that called him Norman the Lunatic <laughs> or Bastion Booger? If you wanted Muckham Singh or if you wanted this fucking big bruising fucking heel, why would you give him such a ridiculous fucking gimmick? No, don't get me wrong. He committed to all of those those gimmicks. He went for him. Even Muckham Singh is kind of like silly where like if you gave Mike Shaw like a Jerry Crusher Blackwell type gimmick or vibe about him and that i'm a big man but i will bruise you and crush you even though jerry blackwell actually he also wore a turban as well and was a sympathizer (laughs) of a middle eastern country (laughs) so so that's always kind of happens but regardless like if you wanted like this big nasty heel they did the same thing with brodus clay like oh you're you're a big guy instead of just you being brodus clay this big nasty heel We'll put a ridiculous gimmick on you and be like, oh, why didn't this work out? Why weren't you this big, nasty heel that we wanted when we got this? It's like you could have called him Smasher Mike Shaw or Smasher Shaw. So, like, yeah, that's what always the frustrating part when they talk about how good he was. But then you saddle him with something that's obviously hugely character driven. And that's another thing, too, that happens is guys that want to be serious or big nasty heels you give them these weird characters but then you have people like me who want to be the character and you don't like let me do the character thing you want me to be serious so <laughs> it's just it's one of those just weird things of professional wrestling and everybody always talks highly of that run with owen hart and i just wish they would have been like you know what you're mike shaw or you're smasher shaw and you're gonna come in and you're just gonna be this big nasty heel like jerry blackwell and just come in and we'll feed you to whoever the big baby face is or the small baby face and, and his ability to be able to go work in mexico go to japan wrestle people who are smaller than him as a guy that's not very big and i see like bigger guys in the locker room and i get booked against him like oh gosh i don't know how i feel about that from from what I hear, everybody that that wrestled him that was smaller than him, which were a lot of people, but like the, the people the size of Brian Pillman's and Owen Hart's, they loved wrestling him. Like, oh, he was so good. He was always there. He was never like a step behind, but he was a good post and super safe and just could, could look like he was murdering you, but he, but he wasn't. I mean, that's just a shame, you know, like it, he's kind of a punchline in wrestling, but... I don't know. I, I I feel bad. I mean, I, I jokingly at the top, like, of course, we're doing a Bastion Booger episode, at, you know, around WrestleMania time because who else is going to do that? But, <laughs> I mean, the joke's right there. But I'll tell you what, the man was no joke. He was a nice individual. I don't hear too many people talk about too many bad things about him personally and everything that isn't said ne- about him negative. It's about a character that somebody gave him. So if that's the worst thing you can say about him, I mean, he must have been doing all right.
0: I swear every time we cover someone and I think, oh my God, we're not even going to make it to 30 minutes, much less an, <laughs> right. an, an hour, something always pops up. Like, I was just as surprised as anyone when I clicked on Cage Match and saw that he had 12 pages of matches instead of like three. It shows that you really you can't just dismiss someone because they had one goofy TV run, fight the patriarchy. Yeah. Most of his career, it was kind of plagued by bad timing, maybe a bad gimmick or bad people in the back, you know, but you you can't take away the fact that he was, I mean, I'll say a stampede wrestling legend. You you can't discount someone who had an epic feud with Owen Hart, putting on great matches and to have a seven year run in any wrestling promotion, any professional sport or just like a regular job. it, It means you're doing something right. He came off like a super cool decent guy in a shoot interview and uh, you know he doesn't his wwf days dig deeper than those
1: um the one thing that struck me the most about mike watching his shoot interview it was like of all the shoots i've ever watched yeah he's laid back and he's he's he feels like he's telling the truth without trying to make up his own story to make him look good it's just like the lack of ego that he has which for pro wrestlers is just you know Rares the dodo bird type shit and it, it was so cool to just sit back and listen to him talk and truly believe everything he said that was that was that was kind of fun he has his own jack specific figure i mean he might be a joke but he's series 25 damn it uh he's got a clean pin over owen hart in wwf he's got a clean pin over sean waltman boom one two three kid he got over as a heel and stampede super fucking hard and then he got over as a face in WCW so hard that Sting and Luger were saying keep this man in the man wrestled 4 to 5000 matches in 20 years in 32 countries this man put in fucking work as Jake I don't even need to ask him he will say you worked that many countries you are a badass they everybody respects you you know what you're doing the thing that got to me is like how close he was to Owen It's it's that thing you work with someone so long and you have a creative bond of sorts and it feels so good And you just grow through that and he said the only of all the wrestlers that have died over the years We've done all these episodes everything that's happened The only time Mike Shaw ever cried over a wrestler was Owen and that says so much He said I think I think I mentioned this but I'm gonna say it again his uh best match ever according to him he was sure as shit i don't even know if it's on tape mike wasn't sure but it's that 32 minute match with owen and he said 320 pounds and they went full blast the entire time and i'd love to find that at some point man um i'm gonna finish up with a little story that i found on the wrestling classics wrestling classics message board it's not the most amazing big time story uh i'm i'm kind of underselling it but uh i just like to be honest with the stuff i'm selling but it's a good interesting kind of insight just real deal story about mike this is word for word from richard berger i enjoyed a rather odd relationship with mike shaw when we both worked for stampede he was a top heel and i handled the advance work and ring announcing in southern bc at first shaw was moderately polite but distant and cool then he seemed to warm up only to turn heel without rhyme or reason on me I have to admit that it kind of threw me off balance. His attitude towards me fluctuated back and forth until months later. I found him alone in the dressing room, lacing up his boots. So I asked him if there was something I'd done to tick him off. In return, I got the warmest of smiles from Mike just for a second. He quickly dispensed with it and said softly, nah, I'm just doing my job. From that time on, I knew he was okay. And there really wasn't any, any heat between us. Uh, I know it's not the biggest thing, but I just thought that was cool. Mike would commit to shit, but then when it came down to it, he was just the nicest, coolest dude that was just doing his job. And after going through all this research, I will say I will never forgive Teddy Long for decapitating that teddy bear because he was clearly jealous of being a second-rate teddy. All
0: right, that is uh, Mike Shaw, a.k.a. Norman the Lunatic, a.k.a. Bastion. Boogers, 10 Bell Pod. Uh, we uh, appreciate you listening. and We are very thankful to all of you donating to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash 10 Bell Pod. Take a few seconds to leave us a rating and a review that helps us pop up on the listening apps. You can find us at 10 on social media at 10 Bell Pod. Micah is Trotter 27 on Twitter. I'm Nicolessa on the Instagram and Twitter. And Manscout is Manscout Manning on the social medias.
1: I'm the booger man. Dong. Dong.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey there, folks. This is the man scout, Jake Manning, otherwise known as sleep-deprived Jake Manning. (laughs) Hey, I've been sleeping in my car for the last two days, and boy, I sure, sure would like an opportunity to sleep in a bed but you know what I'm gonna hear for 10 bell pod for you guys but not just you guys I'm here for the Patreon people I'm doing this with little or no sleep if you want to hear me get buck wild crazy off the wall or see me when I absolutely sucked at professional wrestling our Patreon page is full full of extra bonuses like really shitty matches of mine where I wasn't good at all backyard <laughs> wrestling of me and then of course uh, episodes that we do at the end of a 5 6 seven eight hour taping when i have little or no sleep that i got in a fucking van alongside <laughs> of the road so make sure you check out that and all that crazy content where i have come completely unraveled at the edges you get that on our patreon page at patreon backslash front slash 10 bell pod you know the deal look for it find out